Some call me Steve, Dad, Husband or Friend. Others might call me Boss, Coach or Mentor. Today you can call me the Leadership Hacker. Thanks for listening in, I really appreciate it. My job as the Leadership Hacker is to hack into the minds, experiences, habits and learning of great leaders, C-suite executives, authors and development experts so that I can assist you developing your understanding and awareness of leadership. I'm Steve Rush and I'm your host today. I'm the author of Leadership Cake, I'm a transformation consultant and leadership coach and can't wait to start sharing all things leadership with you. Joining me on the show today is one of the world's leading and recognized thought leaders. He's a business educator, best-selling author, and a speaker. It's Dr. Oleg Konovolov. Before we get an opportunity to speak with Oleg, it's a Leadership Hacker News. What makes someone a great leader? Is it having knowledge, good genes, vision, courage, or many of us will have our very own variation based on our experiences and what we believe to be great in leaders. There is one commonality though that we're likely to share. What really distinguishes the world's most successful leaders is emotional intelligence, or the ability to identify and monitor emotions of not only ourselves, but others around us. Organizations today are increasingly looking through the lens of emotional intelligence when hiring, promoting and developing their employees. And years of study have shown that more emotional intelligence somebody has, the better their chances of success and the better their performance. What most people fail to recognize though is mastering emotional intelligence is actually a skill and it takes practice. And let's not confuse emotional intelligence with all that ambiguous and pink and fluffy stuff that is perceived that only people with right hand creative brains have. Daniel Goldman, professor at Harvard University, who's also been renowned for his work and research on emotional intelligence, has broken this down into four areas. Self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management. And here's our brief 101 on emotional intelligence. Self-awareness. This is the capacity to tune into our own emotions. It allows us to know when we're feeling the way we are, but also the reasons why we feel that way, as well as the people around us. It's about tuning into the feelings that help us or hold us back about what we're trying to do. By understanding our own strengths and limitations, we can operate from a position of competence and clarity, knowing when we can also rely on other people. Self-management. This is the ability to keep disruptive emotions and impulses under control. This is a powerful skill for leaders, especially during a crisis, because people will look to us to make sure that we can provide reassurance. And if we're calm as leaders, they can be calm too. I coined a phrase, your leadership barometer, because you're almost the weather forecast emotionally for people. This is about playing from the logical part of our brain, not the emotional part of our brain. And the core competences here are having that awareness of self-emotional control, adaptability, being agile in the face of change and uncertainty, achievement orientation, striving to meet or exceed those standards we set for ourselves and having a positive outlook so that we see the good in people, situations and events this can really unlock creativity and opportunity. Social awareness. Social awareness indicates the accuracy in reading and interpreting other people's emotions, often through nonverbal communication first. Socially aware leaders are really able to relate to many different people in different ways, able to listen attentively and communicate effectively, even by observing what's not been spoken. 
the core competencies here are empathy, always putting yourself in the shoes of other people, but in a meaningful way, and organizational awareness. Can you read the emotional changes and currents and undertones and dynamics within the people you work with, but also in the organization? And the last is relationship management. And this is an interpersonal skill that really allows us to act in a way to motivate, inspire others while maintaining focus on important relationships. And the core competencies here are influence, gathering support from others, creating an engaging group of people, coaching and mentoring, dedicating your life's work to giving feedback and supporting and coaching others, conflict management, being comfortable with uncomfortable disagreements in teams and sides so that you're able to help people find a win-win outcome, teamwork, you are the team. Share those responsibilities and rewards. Contribute to the capability of your team as a whole. And lastly, inspirational leadership. By inspiring and guiding others towards their overall vision, you'll always get the job done and you'll always bring the team with you with the best qualities along the way. So my final thought of the day, when was the last time you practiced your emotional intelligence? This isn't about doing it, testing it, scenario playing. This is about practicing some of these key capabilities, competencies, so that you can really fine tune your capabilities. The more you practice, the more of an emotional intelligent leader you will become. That's been our brief 101 of emotional intelligence, and that's been the Leadership Hacking News. If you have any insights, information, or things you'd like to share with our listeners, please get in touch. I'm joined on today's show by Dr. Oleg Konovolov. He's one of the world's top global thought leaders. He's an author of four best-selling books, keynote speaker and a coach, Dr. Oleg Konovolov. Welcome to the show. Steve, thank you very much for inviting and having me on the show. Thank you. It's incredibly our pleasure. Now, you've had a really interesting upbringing, story, journey to becoming one of the world's global thought leaders around subjects such as vision, culture, and leadership. But tell us a little bit about your journey from life as a child to Russia to where you are now. Actually, I'm looking back at my life and I just, I'm amazed myself because, uh, you know, being grown in a small town, which is, was part of these gulag towns of left after Stalin heritage, uh, it wasn't the best experience, but probably it made me stronger. And I'm grateful for this uh, because if you live too much comfortable life or, or, you know, you're not, you're not building something big because you already have everything and you're not valuing it. You learn that something should be bigger than you and your, your ego to make your life meaningful. This is where I learned why I should make my life meaningful. And this was important. And... You see, at a certain point, uh, I was almost 30, I decided to move to the UK where I could learn much more than I know. I could work in a different environment. It was the biggest reason why I have moved to UK all days. And I'm really grateful for that chance because it moved me much further than I was initially thinking about it. It was great. Uh, that moved you further academically, physically, mentally? How did that move you? Mentally. I would tell you mentally because physically you still remain strong. 
oh, at least <laughs> in one great piece. <laughs> academia, academia is more or less is uh, similar everywhere in the world. This is a little bit up and down, but it's more or less similar. But it was mental challenge because you should learn everything from you. The way how people work, the way how people interact, how socialize, uh, everything. You learn everything from you, so you are born from you. It's another life in this term. That's a really nice way of looking at it, actually being reborn from new. I quite like that. Yeah. You know, it's nothing. You're not, you shouldn't drag your old habits into your new life. Because then the reason why did you change something if you're still using the same old habits or way of thinking? You know, it wouldn't put you far. Whatever you would move, if you take everything old with you stuff, you're moving into a new house. Are you taking old stuff with you? No. You're buying new furniture, new carpets, or everything that you need from you to make it fresh and nice. And this is important. and I think I'm very lucky, and I, I love this industry. I've worked for many years in the fishing industry, which, you know, is quite tough. But it's great in terms of interacting daily with incredible people. You're facing a lot of challenges, but you're learning from them. And it was a, a tremendous experience. I love it. My, a few of my projects, actually in the fishing industry, were highlighted in the Times, in the Fishing News International, in the Fishing News UK, but then at a certain point, I realized that I want to know more. I want to learn more. And I gone again <laughs> for my diploma in management, then for master's degree, then for doctoral degree. And I probably, at those days, I was only the one in the fishing industry who had a doctoral degree in business <laughs> across the globe. And I guess that's your curiosity, your passion for learning that thought, right, how can I take some additional learning and transfer that to an industry which historically hasn't got a lot of academic background to it, right? Absolutely, because this is curiosity to learn what's over there, what is beyond our or my conventional thinking, you know, or daily questions. You know, it's something beyond, yes, it's curiosity. But, uh, you know, we know curiosity kills the cat, but uh, such a cat which is not afraid to be killed <laughs> in this sense. Uh, because curiosity, it's a great trigger to go further. And uh, the thing is, if you want to make something more important than your daily routine, you must learn how to make it great. Because we have all chances and opportunities to make our life meaningful, our achieved goals, impactful for many in positive way, but you must be capable of handling something big. And so you must learn. That's a necessity. Following the successful career you had in the fishing industry where you led some really large businesses, was it then that your curiosity that led you into the world of consulting? Knowledge is the sexiest thing in the world. Knowledge is the most demanded product in the world. Knowledge is what shifts us into the future. Knowledge is always in demand and is always respectful and always well paid. But it's most rewarding thing when you see people succeeding because of you helping them. 
this is far beyond our instant necessities like food and shelter because it's impact on the next generations it's everything you see when we talk the digital era being now which assume that it is a knowledge era triggered by people who changed the things in management that allowed to change technologies and so allowed to make this digital era coming so it is knowledge and i guess knowledge was what led you to put pen to paper and your first best selling book was the corporate superpower and that was around you know taking some theory if you like but giving it some structure and i haven't read it myself it's around that whole theory of how do we give structure to culture tell us a little bit about that it is started from very very curious point we all will love talking about positive culture and how culture is important then i looked at hold on why we're we not talking about negative culture because the majority of companies these days they still have negative culture and what i have found is right about 450000 articles you could find only from academia on positive culture and only about 72 articles on negative culture where the reality is completely opposite and i start hold on what is the algorithm because whatever we're reading in the books or listening at the conferences it's all this all discussion is wrapped around how to good to have a good culture but how to have a clear simple and effective algorithm was still remaining as a gap and so I decided to cover this gap and created corporate uh, superpower as an algorithm as a response for everyday needs where every leader every manager could open it and see how to create culture what stands on it you know how to do, uh, create values or define values what's the properties of engagement everything so to find they call therefore i call it at the end of the book i call it define make a checklist because it's like winery you're taking care of it you're growing you're cultivating it and then you're getting a great result and therefore it was important to give people really practical solutions instead of general chit chat and that's a good point of being an efficient industry you must come with a result right because you can't sell the fish that you don't have people need exact instruction simple because we don't have much time for philosophical conversations about something being good or not you've either caught fish or you haven't caught fish right absolutely i love catching big fish and so big results <laughs> But lying behind that, I guess, would still be all of that foundation of discipline, structure, the people you work with. That, that doesn't change, does it? No, because I would call myself lucky, blessed, whatever, because I've worked with incredible professionals. I learned and started from incredible people from academia. You know, I'm really grateful because it's a matter who teaches you. and not just a personality not just a professional but 
a whole person from whom you really learn how to be a whole person yourself. And that's incredible. For instance, if we look at a simple point which we often neglect, an outlook is one thing, but how you could connect dots, which seems like very non-relevant, is a mastery itself. So you must know how to make those nice pictures, really vivid pictures that could give you the right answers or most effective answers. Now, your next book was Leaderology, and Forbes has quoted that as being one of the top leadership books of the last year. What was the inspiration for Leaderology? I'm really proud of this book because, first of all, we were so drawn into the quoting leadership, leadership, leadership every day that we look at it as function or one of the functions. We're diluting the meaning of leadership. We're taking many things for granted and so not realizing what's going on behind. So we're looking at leaders and declaring something. But leadership is a system. It's a system of growing people. It's a system to be of master of everything you you manage in terms of leading, in terms of a context in which you and your people exist. And that stands not just as a system as a whole, but its ability to create other productive systems in terms of what kind of organizations you create, what kind of people you grow to achieve those incredible results, how you make people stronger. Because what I believe, if you help your people grow, people will help you to become a better leader. They will make you a better leader. It is a journey. If I work as a leader myself and take care of people, they will take care of me. Right. If I work as a good consultant for a company, whatever I do in the best way to help the company, they are bouncing back with a feedback that makes me stronger as a consultant, as a coach. Well, I'm a bit picky. I'm always trying to choose good clients, those who are really willing to make a difference because they make me better coach. And that's it. Absolutely. Because I'm learning from them probably even more than they learn from me. I'm just from different angle, but I'm still gaining. So we, all of us, we are multiplying each other. They test and challenge your capabilities, your, your worldview as well, right? It's a matter how to reveal the people's greatness to make things strong, whether it would be company or culture within the company or even every personality which comes back home after office hours and makes his family happy. Yeah, I see that. Now, I love the start of Leaderology because your first chapter is almost a a letter to yourself when you were 30. And I think it's a really great idea and I love reading it. But what was the inspiration for that? This was a reflection what I have missed at those days, what I was really short. I wish I would have somebody at those days who would be telling me, this is wrong, this is right, emphasize on this or do that. And it was critical to to make own mistakes. But it was important to reflect in which direction to go. What is important to see? Because we've been emphasizing enhanced 
repeat the same old patterned mistakes. All people like me, what they've been doing, everything they've been taught by books or by senior managers, so more or less without thinking in which direction to go. And so repeating old mistakes again and again. It's draining your energy. It's draining your time. It's not moving you far. And the problem is, I'm 56, but it's, we're still dragging these old mistakes into the future. And therefore, it was important to reflect where we should stop it and how to make this new house really fresh and new and how to reinvent ourselves and get rid of old mistakes. And therefore, it was a message, but it was actual message to myself. Yeah. So it's almost a bit of a, let's wave goodbye to some of that past and recognize that, you know, everything's going to be okay, almost, right? Yes, because if you, if you wouldn't put it clearly, structurally, on a paper, or you wouldn't tell it to yourself, you still would be repeating it. But as soon as you tell, okay, we shouldn't be doing this and this, as soon as you said this clearly, you're easy, you're free. You're free from it. You're getting rid of it. So I love that. And you know, if anybody gets a chance to read Leaderology, it's a really insightful start to what you go on to talk about, which is almost the anatomy of how we as leaders operate, and that's your systems and stuff. But a lot of the work that you have done recently has been focused very much around the whole principle of vision. Now, as a leadership coach, I spend a lot of time actually coaching leaders around clarity of vision, but for some people, their view of the world is very different, and one person's vision is very different from another. You've managed through your research and your work to distill this down into almost a subject matter and some themes. Just tell us a little bit about how that came about. First of all, I would tell you why vision. My friends often ask me, why you didn't start your journey straight from the vision? And I said, because it was important to build up a platform for me to get down to vision because it's still a bit of a miracle in it. But people assume what vision is. Is it a gift or is it something different? And what I have found, vision is not a gift. It's a hard work. It comes, vision comes when your conscious awareness of a problem reaches its peak. And it must be well supported by learning, listening, diminished ego, full grasp of environment, your intuition. It is something that you really came to solve for others. So it's not a gift. It's a hard work to find it and define it. So it's a moment of creation, that magical aha moment. Then you must, when you, you have a vision, you must structure it clearly. And that consists of six elements, which is stimulus. So what kind of value I create for people and they respond to it. It reflects scale. Because vision doesn't live in a dead end. It always has a potential for extension in depth, in breadth, geographically, in quality, in everything. Assumes spotlight because being visionary leader is like being on a Broadway for 24-7. You know, you're always responsible. It's simplicity. Because if vision is not simple, it would not attract anyone. It must be understood. It defines 
Very interesting point, scanning, because it must be relevant to the world which we live. If we are not scanning the world around us, we are missing an alignment with the world, so it doesn't become necessary or interesting for people. And of course, excitement and passion, because vision is a strong emotion itself. And when you have passion for your vision, you bouncing it to people, and they bounce it back, and multiplying this passion, so it becomes a strong emotional force, which pushes people for something great. But then vision must be well communicated, because here comes a difference. What's the difference between communicating and, and sharing vision? We communicate facts, but we share stories and emotions. So we need both to communicate strong vision. And then it goes to execution, where it's, you know, to handle something huge. As vision, you must be a strong leader. And so you must have a strong team. And so it stands on a focus, on a will to to achieve it. It stands on a strong culture. It stands on a clear understanding of your capacities, on a very enable, enhanced and enabled decision-making from all the, of the team members, on the influence that you're expecting. So more or less, it's a six-step process. But what's important? Vision is an uncertainty. Our whole life is uncertainty. But what happens? We grow when we go through uncertainty to reach the point of certainty, also comfort zone. But it all depends how quickly we would leave that comfort zone. If we will stay in it, we will be drawn into the swamp of comfort. We wouldn't grow anymore and a vision dies. But we must keep going all the time. And the process is quite simple. It's a business tool now, uh, which is a sixth steps process, which is teachable, manageable, very effective. The only thing is we must consider. At the moment, what I have found, only 0.1% of modern leaders have vision. So it is important for many. But how many people would be willing to take this hard work and do it properly for other people is also critical. What do you think the reason is that most leaders really struggle with that concept that vision isn't pink and fluffy, but it is really hard work? What, what do you think causes that in your experience? Because vision is something big, people was really afraid to approach it. If you would hardly find many books on it, a couple of books, yes, but hardly find many. It's one thing, it's big, it's quite mystical, so we would not touch it. It's one thing. Point B. You must be strong yourself to accept this and grow as a visionary leader, which is a bit different because you must develop courageous thinking. You must be confident and credible. You must develop all the time your inner excellence. You must create a knowledge bank around you, not just followers, but a knowledge bank. So it's a hard work in this sense and a courage to Stand firm on your point is critical because what happens is this. We have too many leaders who are trying to please everyone, which wouldn't lead anyone far. We have too many leaders who are driven by their personal ambitions, so they will drive people off the cliff just to satisfy themselves. So they're not bothered about vision at all. And again, vision is needed for people who really generate something scalable. You know, it's not much needed for somebody who, for instance, for a worker, 
I also wonder because when you create a vision, there's no immediate return. It's a little bit further away. And therefore, if we're drawn into delivery of results and ambitions today, then sometimes the vision gets left behind. Absolutely. What we prefer to manage, we are keen and prefer to manage something which is we could touch or which is very visible, call it the bottom line, quarterly reports. Oh, we could manage them. We could see them. But vision is a bit greater. So it is not easy to stay aligned with something which is five or ten years ahead of you. And it's also moving because as vision progresses, it grows. So your goals are getting bigger and they move. Never stops. No, never. And that's also, in my experience, an element of a lack of awareness is that you, know, you set a vision and we leave it and we run away and we don't come back to it on a regular basis to refresh it and rethink it, right? You see, for instance, can you make your family life happier than today? Yes. You just need to find new meanings of every day, every time. The same in business. It pushes you far and far and far away, you know, from you being initially, from that boy. We mentioned, can I say that I had a vision at my 30? No, no. It came much later when I start really deeply thinking what I want to make different in my life. So it's a journey itself. Got it. So within your book, Leaderology, you've got loads of other tips around the anatomy of leadership. At this part of the show, though, we're going to try and distill your 30 lessons that you have in leaderology and your years and years of experience of learning and culture and knowledge and <laughs> try and distill that into your top three leadership hacks. What would they be, Oleg? The first one would be don't rush to call yourself a leader. The most important and simple but important question you should understand. You could call yourself a leader if people under your leadership achieved something serious. So the question would be, what people achieved under my leadership where I could call myself a leader? I never saw a wise leader not being humble. Humility is critical. You should learn every day and you should have a strong backbone to admit that you don't know something and you could learn or take it from somebody from your team. The thing is, if you want to be good, get coach, get mentor, because you need that expertise to become stronger. Otherwise, you are sentenced to learn simple, basic things all your life. Don't waste it. Take it from somebody who knows it already. You're saving life and you're saving your people effort to make the things more effective now, today. There's no world champion sports person out there, is there, that have done it on their own. They have a team of people that have helped them with their training and their thinking, and they all have a coach to unlock what they can't see for themselves, right? No chance, because we are all in one boat, right? And who could tell me who is rowing better, who is a champion? We are all together. And at this part of the show also, we've really started to enjoy listening to leadership lessons from our guests where things haven't particularly gone well. So we call it act to attack. Has there been a time in your career or indeed your, your life where things didn't work out for you or it went wrong, but that's now become a learn for you and you use that as a positive in your life? Oh, yeah. 
I don't know anyone who reached something serious in his life without being through the really tough life situations. <laughs> what would be the, the one thing that's probably the biggest hack to attack for you? First thing I learned, stay yourself. Whatever happens, don't lose yourself. You could lose everything. You could lose money. You could lose house. You could do everything. Be yourself. Because if you lose yourself, you lose everything. Then the, no money could cover it. Nothing would cover it. It's one thing. And I think your goals must be much greater than your problems. If your goals are little and problems are great, you are done. You're dead. And every lesson is a lesson. You're learning to be better and stronger because it's a moment of reinventing and it's always painful. Right, and learning can be tough. And nothing wrong with that. Just be proud of it. But it's those lessons and what you do with the learning that makes a difference, right? It is. It is a huge difference because, again, what we learn is important because if it's like something immediate, overthink one thing, but if you're reflecting those lessons within the time, you're getting much deeper meanings out of it. And there are more, even more valuable because at the first point when you're losing something, you're experiencing too much pain. And pain is not the best teacher because it's often misleading you. You just need to overcome pain and then you're learning even more than you have learned before. Super advice. So we're going to ask you to do a bit of time travel now, Oleg. We're going to take you back to bump into Oleg at 21 and it's your chance to give him a bit of advice. So what would your advice be? Learn. Learn deeply. I would tell you why. Well, learning something at 21, but it's more like a shallow knowledge of everything. At 21, we are more jumping around. We're not learning deep. We start realizing the value of learning at much later stage. And, well, being at 21 with much fresher mind, it would be more productive. It would be more effective. So learning is critical. It defines your life. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. It really does. The more you learn, the more you know, the more you know, the more you can respond. The more you respond, the more able you are to deal with situations. I could give you another perspective. Please do, yeah. I'm one of the Marshall Goldsmith's 100 coaches and talking with him regularly and learning a ton from him. He's number one in the world on leadership and he's number one executive coach in the world. He's a father of executive coaching and he's a great motor is learn as much as you can, help as much as you can. And I love this because it is critical. The more you learn, the more you could give. Why the leader should learn more? Because I learn to help my people in the greater sense. If I know nothing or know little, how I could help my people grow? No chance. I learn to be a better servant of my people. This is critical. It is, yeah. If I would know this at 21, my life would be much different, but not as colorful. <laughs> <laughs> and learning is what people listening today will be getting to. So learning about you, learning about some of your thoughts and some of your thinking, and particularly how by applying some real 
thought and structure around vision, they can really change their dynamics. So thank you for sharing some learning. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. It was a great honor. I love our conversation. Thank you. I'm pretty sure that people listening today will want to get their hands on a copy of Leaderology or find out a little bit about the work you're doing at the moment. If we were to connect you with our listeners, how best could we do that? They could go to my website, olegkonovalov.com, O-L-E-G-K-O-N-O-V-A-L-O-V. Com, or they could find me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to chat or respond and uh, share what I know. Thank you. Awesome. And we'll make sure that we put links to your books and your website in our show notes as well, Oleg, so folk can head over there as soon as they finish listening. Well, thank you. And I just wanted to say, you know, <laughs> we've spoken a few times and I find that the work you've done really thoughtful and really helpful uh, and it's inspired me and I'm just delighted that we've had the opportunity for you to join us on the Leadership Hacker podcast. So Oleg, thank you ever so much for me. Thank you very much. Thank you. I genuinely want to say a heartfelt thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in too. We do this in the service of helping others and spreading the word of leadership. Without you listening in, there would be no show. So please subscribe now if you haven't done so already. Share this podcast with your communities and network and help us develop a community and a tribe of leadership hackers. And finally, if you'd like me to work with your senior team, your leadership community, keynote an event, or you would like to sponsor an episode, please connect with us via our social media. And you can do that by following and liking our pages on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is at Leadership Hacker. Instagram, you can find us there at the underscore leadership underscore hacker. And at YouTube, we're just Leadership Hacker. So that's me signing off. I'm Steve Rush, and I've been the Leadership Hacker.